time. Love Talk Radio. Maybe a little higher, Mike. Radio Show, hosted by Robbie D, Big Mike, and Vinny the Shark. And good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Over the Top Sports Radio. Robbie D, Big Mike, and Pajama Boy with me to my right. Here on Saturday morning, talking with sports with you for the next hour. Goon has the day off, but we got a great show for you tonight, or today, I guess. Uh, we're going to start our NFL preview. The um, Preseason got underway just a couple of hours ago on Thursday night, so about 36 hours ago, um, with the most pointless game in football. But nevertheless, pro football being played and uh, coming up this week, everybody starts to get underway in the preseason. We're going to preview the NFC West as we start to preview every one of the divisions in the NFL. And, of course, coming up in a week or so, uh, we have our fantasy football preview as well. Uh, Walter Jones joined us the other day. We're going to play an interview that we got with him, uh, so the former great uh, will be joining us in just a few minutes, uh, so stay tuned for that as well. And, of course, we got the baseball going on, uh, which is where we're going to have to start it, and we want to talk about it with you. So give us a call at 646-716-5403. That's 646-716-5403. And uh, talk sports with you. And uh, if you're a Yankee fan right now, uh, you got to start being worried. And I know that Mike maybe was a hot take last week, maybe a little bit of anger, maybe a little bit of knowledge, uh, and a lot of hope that the Yankees might be in trouble as far as the wild card goes. But I'll tell you this, that may or may not be true. We'll find that out soon enough. But when you lose the first two games to the Red Sox, you are now seven and a half games out in the East. The Red Sox look like they're going to win 110 games. And that's just, the Yankees are just a victim of circumstance right now. The Red Sox right now are just playing out of their minds. And you have a rookie going today in Fenway Park and Chance Adams that's never pitched before in the big leagues. You're in trouble. And if they get swept this weekend, uh, maybe the wild card might come back into play for the Yankees, Vinny. Resident Yankee fan, last couple of days, especially even if you go back to the Baltimore game on uh, Wednesday, not the best baseball by the Yankees. No, and honestly, Yankee fans, there's got to be a cause of concern here, but just a just a little bit because you, we got to get through this series. It sucks that you lost the first two already in a big series that you needed to at least split at the minimum this weekend with the Red Sox. But the Red Sox, they're the best team in baseball right now. Unfortunately, you cannot go out there and let Rick Porcello throw a one-hit complete game against you. That's just that's unacceptable with the lineup that they have. Now they're throwing the rookie in the fire tomorrow. There's a lot wrong in Yankee land right now. But after this weekend, they have a very, very easy schedule that they need to dominate. And I know it's going to be hard to do without Judge. And this team just doesn't look like they're in sync. But uh, listen, you got to take a deep breath. You kind of got to give up on the division now, which kind of sucks. We get it. But um, one game wild card, you got to get ready. We got to get Luis Severino, who's the biggest concern right now, back to that Cy Young form that he was before the All-Star game. Uh, I just think, yeah, take a deep breath. It's going to suck. The series already sucks. Even if we win the next two, we just got to go on to handle business after this with a very easy schedule with the rest of August approaching. Vinny, you gave me the most arrogant laugh last week when I told you, Yankee fans, the wild card isn't a lock. And now we're starting to see that it is not a lock. And that's not me being a hater. That's me telling you Severino has an 8.28 ERA in his last five. He's been atrocious. They're 18 and 18 over their past 36. That's 500 ball. This team is becoming mediocre. They're not a mediocre team, but they are becoming mediocre. And somebody has to step up and change that culture. Maybe it's starting a rookie like Chance Adams uh, today against Nate Evaldi. And Nate Evaldi is very hittable. Fastball, the team can hit fastballs. They hit balls hard last night against Purcell. It was just defense was good, and they were right at players. But the Yankee bats need to not get their heads down, and somebody has to step up and kind of take it by the horns. And I actually thought it was going to be Didi the other night with his two home runs, Vinny, but it wasn't enough. Somebody's got to step up while Judge isn't there. Yeah, and uh, we'd like to see the guy, the big guy we saw in the season, Giancarlo Stanton, really step up and fill in for Judge because we need that pop. We need that scary bat in there. But, um, you know, some people have been questioning Boone with his uh, decisions on yanking pitchers and his lineups putting Giancarlo too. There's been a lot of questions about Aaron Boone. You've been hearing people saying they want Joe Girardi back, including myself. I kind of miss Girardi a little bit. But I'm not putting this all down on Aaron Boone here. Listen, I'm not panicking yet. I will still arrogantly laugh at you saying the Yankees are not getting a wild card spot, the number one wild card spot. They will play a home game in October for that wild card spot. 
uh, in that wild card game because I like that schedule and I just simply think they are still, regardless of the tough times right now, a better team than Oakland and Seattle. Who's going to pitch that game? Sorry, Rob. No. So it's going to be Severino. Right now? Right now you don't oh, want to see him, but uh, you've got oh, you to imagine he's their guy, and if he's not pitching that game, then the Yankees are in a lot more trouble than I think they are. Catters go through slumps. Pitchers can go through slumps, too, and maybe that's just what's going on with Severino. I mean, he's too good of a pitcher to be this bad. I don't know if he's as good as he started the season for the first two or three months, too. Maybe he's a little bit in the middle of it, but still, ace, he's an ace-quality uh, pitcher. Um, but you talked about the Yankees' schedule. The problem with the Yankees this year, up until the last two or three days, was they weren't playing well versus the bad teams. I mean, they've had trouble beating teams like Baltimore. So with their upcoming schedule being one of the reasons why they might turn it around, I'm not so sure I buy that. They need to get healthy. They need Judge and Sanchez back. I know Sanchez is not hitting great this year, but he's a force in the lineup. Right. He can change the game any day. They pitch to other batters differently knowing that Sanchez is in the hole around that. Right. So they need to get healthy. And then they've had a little bit of a string of bad luck. We know their bullpen's great, but they haven't pitched with the lead lately. So they haven't had a chance to show that off. Um, and, of course, then today, Jay Hat, you know, we, everybody made fun of the Mets with Noah Syndergaard. And now, look, he's got the same thing with hand, foot, and mouth disease. Yep. That's just another blow, obviously. We brought this guy in here in a rotation that needs some help. And then for him to go down with the sickness Syndergaard got, which is a pretty weird thing. I didn't think it would be, you'd see it with anybody else other than Syndergaard, but apparently it's spreading around. Uh, so, hopefully, Jay Hat can get back. But uh, like going back to one of your points you mentioned here, Rob, the big difference that separated the Yankees and the Red Sox in the standings was how well the Red Sox have a record against Baltimore and Tampa Bay, and the Yankees are a 500 team against Tampa Bay and Baltimore. That was a huge difference. But now the Red Sox are laying it onto the Yankees themselves. And we talked about the wild card, and the Yankees would be in a lot more trouble if Seattle had lost four games in a row this week too. So while the Yankees have lost three in a row, Seattle, who right now holds the second wild card spot, um, even if they just went two and two in those four games and had won a couple of games, uh, they'd be right on the Yankees' heels a little bit more. So um, they've been a little bit fortunate. While the Yankees got cold, some of these other teams have gotten colder. It looks like right now it's going to be just a two-team race um, between Oakland and Seattle um, and, you know, to get that second wild-card spot. Actually, Oakland is ahead of Seattle um, by a game and a half. But if Seattle won those, they'd be right there, maybe four games behind the Yankees, and the Yankees are in trouble. Um, Tampa Bay, uh, the Angels, we've talked about these teams that dropped out. So right, really it's going to be whoever finishes in second in the AL West, and can the other team jump the Yankees? And right now, I, I mean, I understand Mike's point, but uh, Seattle doesn't seem like that they're going to stick around either. I'm not so sure about that. I agree with that, Rob, but you're going to have Cano coming back, and they're going through a slump also. Hanager has slowed down. Dee Gordon seems a little bit banged up. Uh, you know, this is a team that made a lot of moves at the deadline. Juan Nicasio just hit the DL, so they're facing their string of injuries right now, but you know, you're bringing a bat in like Cano, it's almost like a deadline move. And yeah, we don't know what he's going to be with the whole steroid, non-steroid thing, but you would have to think that that's a, an impactful bat that you're just going to be able to add back to the lineup. The Oakland A's are 13-3 and three in their last 16 games. They've been on fire. They caught a hot streak. But let's talk about them making that wild card game. Do you trust Manaya to hand the ball on the road in Yankee Stadium to beat the New York Yankees in a wild card game? No. I don't trust anyone on the Oakland A's staff to go in there and beat New York in New York. What if it's Paxton? Sometimes it's not I'd rather, I'd rather it's anyone Oakland throwing out there than James Paxton, even though the Yankees did rough up James Paxton when he visited the Bronx this year. You were at that game. Sometimes it's not about who you play. It's about when you play them. Um, right now, if it was Manaya versus Luis Severino, the line might not be what you thought it was going to be three or four weeks ago. So you just don't know how it is. Now, the good thing for the Yankees is if the division gets away from them, they can kind of set themselves up for that wild card game. Whereas if they have to fight to get the division title in the last weekend of the season and fall short, maybe they use Severino that last weekend and they have to use a Sabathia who was terrible on Thursday night. They might have to use a pitcher that you don't want to use in that wild card game. So if they can get that wild card locked up and not worry about the division, they'll be set up for that one home game the way that they want to do it. So that could actually be a plus for them as far as getting through to the division series. My last point that I want to make about the Yankees is Brian Cashman again struck with gold. And I don't care how Lance Lynn does the rest of the season. The fact that you don't have to see Sonny Gray in the rotation makes it a great move for the New York Yankees. And we talked about it on Monday with Yankee fans not being happy sending Tyler Austin for Lance Lynn. It is still a great move. After watching Sonny Gray smirk coming off that mound, and I'm not even a Yankee fan, I wanted to strangle him. I thought it was ridiculous. So I am all for him going to the bullpen, Lance Lynn going to the rotation, and I love the fact that they're calling up Chance Adams today and not going back to Sonny Gray. 
and any Yankee fan who uh, was iffy about Lance Lynn for Tyler Austin, I don't know what the love for Tyler Austin is. I told you what it probably was. It's probably him charging the mound over there in Boston. Everybody liked seeing the fight out of him. And I don't think they're sold on Bird, Vinny, either. Yeah, a lot of people aren't sold on Bird, to be honest with you. But uh, you know what? At least that guy drops down a bunch every now and then on that stupid shift that every other player should be doing. Regardless, seeing Sonny Gray this week come off against Baltimore, another loss to Baltimore, smirking on the mound, that had to be his last start with the New York Yankees. Yeah, and I'm, I think every Yankee fan is finally committed now. Okay, good. Get Lance Lynn in there. Forget about Tyler Austin because Sonny Gray, no one wants to see this guy pitch in pinstripes the rest of the year. I'm sure the smirk was more just he just couldn't believe himself. I'm sure that was just not John Franco used to do that all the time, Big Mike. Yeah, well, John Franco, towards the end of his career, couldn't save anything. Um, either way, uh, it game was Lance, over when Franco Lance Lynn was one of those guys that took forever to sign, got off to such a terrible start in Minnesota, but we all loved Lance Lynn in the offseason. Said the Yankees should get him. They went out there and they got him pretty cheap, if you ask me. It's a cheap deal. Um, the Yankees still have all of August to make a, a deal. I mean, with the new with the trading deadline the way it is, with the waivers deals, they can go out and get somebody. If they have to well, get a who's first gonna baseman, be out there? There's always a big waivers. Name. I don't know. There's always Justin Verlander went last year on August 31st, so you can find a big name that goes through waivers and make a deal. And maybe one of the good things is with the Yankees are that they're gonna not be able to be blocked by Boston because it goes in reverse order of the standing. So if there's a guy that they want, at least Boston's not going to block them. And I read a thing that somebody said, and it actually got a lot of traction and an interesting like 50, 50 split of people's reactions on it, that the Yankees should do a bullpen day like Tampa Bay does. I think that would, you know, blow up the bullpen and not have them valuable when you need them to be. I don't want to see them do that stupid bullpen day. It's such a I gimmick that you. I hate. I hate it all. It works once in a while. I know Tampa does it. It looks like it's going to be one of the new ways. In Major Tampa League doesn't even have one starting pitcher on their roster. Everyone is bullpen guys in there. Um, well, I guess because uh, what's now his name? Archer. And his uh, Snell's on the DL. Right. But um, I hate it. I hate it. I mean, you saw Sergio Romo starting back-to-back days because he goes one inning. And I just – it's not baseball to me. And last weekend when Sean Newcomb went 134 pitches to try to get a no-hitter for the Braves, one of the coolest things to me about it was that they actually let him be a man and pitch and let him throw some pitches. These guys are conditioned to, you know, throw 100 pitches and be done. That's not what I grew up with, and it's certainly not what our fathers and grandfathers grew up with, watching pitchers throw 250, 300 innings a year. Look what Nolan Ryan did. So Yeah, but everybody's trying to invent the real, the, reinvent the wheel, right? right? Like now with the shifts, you didn't see the shifts uh, – you know, back then, this significant and this drastic, every batter is a shift. It's right, but crazy. how come in every walk of sports, everybody is getting stronger, more durable, bigger, except pitching? Pitching is turning into... Well, Syndergaard tried, and look what happened. Well, you don't have to lift weights to do that. I mean, these guys that pitched back in the day, you look at all these Hall of Fame pitchers that pitched in the era before ours, these guys weren't jacked. There wasn't weightlifting like there is now. They ran. Ask Greg Maddox about it. He said the best way I kept in shape, I ran every single day. I didn't have to lift weights. What people more are, are, are fascinated with lighting up the uh, the radar gun and then throwing the 88-mile-an-hour fastball and being a dominant pitcher every 100 miles an hour. I have to be able to throw 100 miles an hour. People are fascinated with that aspect. Yeah, and, and so it's an overrated aspect. Yeah, and so are the scouts and so are the people that, you know, recruit you to go to their college and all that. But you know what? That's why you see all the Tommy Johns. That's why you see all the shoulder issues. And that's why you see pitchers unable to go 200 innings on a regular basis. People used to go 300 innings. So it's a pussification of the sport. So I'm so sick of it. Now you got the bullpen day. It's even worse. It's even worse. You can't even have a quality start is six innings now. That was crap. They didn't even have closers back in the day. Now starters go one inning. We're going to have eight different guys pitching the game. Doesn't bother. It really I hate doesn't. it. I hate it. It's not baseball. Me. I thought baseball. it was stupid, but if it's working, it's you, a little league gimmick. It. Everybody gets a shot type of deal, and you know what? It doesn't bother me, but the 100 pitch count bothers me. So I much. hate it. It's, I, it's I a magic stand. number because 100 is a magic I number. I can't stand. I can't stand. It. Apparently, there's some kind of proven stat that after 100 right. pitches, these pitchers start giving up runs or start getting hit. Uh, but but listen, I don't care. If you got your best pitcher on the mound, I'm not pulling him just because he has 100 pitches. If he's pitching a hell of a game, I'm leaving him out there until whatever he thinks he could go. But they do it all the time. Yeah, that's a, it's a guaranteed thing now. You're right. So magic number 100, you're done, you're out. That's it. Uh, you're lucky to go to 110. Uh, maybe I'm just old school. I'm and The old school part of me hates the shift too, but I don't. I don't also think I it should be, shift. but I don't think it should be outlawed. I if you want to play you. defense any way you want to play it, that's up to you. And that's agree. managing. I still hate it. And I've seen teams get burned by the shift almost as much as I've seen it work. So, 
you just got to have more guys, like you said, with Greg Bird that are willing to drop down that bunt. And if you do it enough times, they're going to have to respect it. And now you can swing away and hit to where your power is. The last point about the game, guys, is it got some traction on our Twitter. What do you think of the whole Cora getting tossed, throwing up at Mookie and Gardner getting hit? Because if you, if you ask me, there's no way he's hitting Gardner intentionally on an 0-2 count. I understand Severino having to go in just to establish that on their best player. But um, it's really the umpires then to issue warnings I thought was absolutely ridiculous. I guess it made sense, the warning, but I definitely understood where Cora was coming from. I don't think uh, Gardner was hit intentional. Not on an 0-2 lead-off yeah, game. <laughs> I don't think he was hit intentional at all. Um, to start the game after you beat them, it doesn't make any sense that he was hit. But uh, Severino went up on Mookie. I didn't mind that. I was actually pretty happy he did that. I'd like to see it a little lower. I'm not I'm not surprised that the up called the, uh, you know, the warning, but uh, I'm with Cora. Because then you couldn't throw inside the rest of the game. Right. You know, even though it didn't affect anybody. And even the Yankee, the players, you saw a judge outrage, too. I mean, it takes away a whole part of the game. It not didn't affect Porcello, inside. that's for sure. Right. No, it didn't affect Porcello. But if you ask me, the umpires make themselves too much a part of the show. And this was just it again. He And he waited so long. Yep. He didn't just do it right away. And That was the ump's first year. And probably his first Yankee Red Sox game. Well, I'm sure he felt play. it, too. His last. Because that, was, that wasn't good. No, I didn't... Uh, have any problem with the way Cora acted. I would have been that angry too. Yeah, but in the end, like you said, it didn't affect his pitcher. His pitcher went out there. He threw a complete game, one hit, uh, one hitter, not a shutout because the one hit was a home run with under 90 pitches. Do you know the last pitcher to do that was? Greg nope. Maddox. It was two, <laughs> no, it was two years ago. It was, it was Rick Porcello two years ago. So he was the last guy Rick that thumbed it. Yeah, it was in 2016, a uh, complete game, one hitter with uh, under 90 pitches. I want to give you guys a losing pitcher stat line yesterday. I think you both know it already without me saying. Eight innings, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, nine strikeouts. That's right. One uh, one earned run, I'm sorry. It was uh, – no, two earned runs. Two earned runs. Two, two, to, one, home run two to one the final. That is Jacob DeGrom's line. Eight and and you, didn't give, you didn't give his whole line. He got a single – an RBI single. And he had the RBI single for the Mets, the only run of the game for them. Two to one. Once again, DeGrom loses – what does he fall? Five and seven now? Five and seven. And he has the best ERA in baseball. He's gone eight innings, four out of his last five. He's got an ERA of 1.85, 39 strikeouts, and five walks in that span. And he's 0-3 in those starts. It is absolutely <laughs> horrible. And they asked him last night he, uh, after the game, he couldn't have gave any more of a perfect answer saying, I don't think the guys are trying to not score runs for me. It just doesn't happen. I'm sure he's frustrated, but he's keeping his head in it. I want to hear what he really has to say. I think he's I the kind of guy that, that agrees <laughs> In a way, he is almost getting more love and adulation because of what's going on. People are actually saying, I feel so bad and pay more attention to him for how great he's pitching without being able to get the win than if he was doing it and he had a decent record. Like Aaron Nola, who's having a great season, is 12-3 and with a 2-3 ERA. He doesn't get talked about as much as DeGrom because he's not, you know, he's actually getting some run support. Right. I actually think that this is helping his cause a little bit with just people it's- feeling bad for him. And realizing how great of a season he's definitely, having personally. Definitely making it a memorable season for him. Everyone's going to go back, oh, remember that year Jacob DeGrom didn't even win seven games and he led the league in ERA? Like, right. Seriously. Does he get the double-digit wins? No. No. You don't think, no, he gets, you don't think the law of averages is going to – No, He has 10, no. 11 starts left. No. You don't think in that – 11 starts, he's got to win five of them? Yeah. I mean, I, I understand why you would say no. I mean, I'm not he can he with the way he's pitching, but, but there's no you way. You just got to think – And he's literally due to throw a bad game in here eventually. You would – I mean, you would <laughs> I mean, think. it hasn't yet, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. He's due. He's due to – He's due to – by accident, he's due to actually, actually lose a deserving game for once. I know he's got, I don't know who his next start is, but I know two starts from now is Baltimore, which I'll uh, hopefully be able to see. So, uh, I don't know who the other one is, but uh, you would think the blow up shouldn't be against Baltimore if there is going to be one. Well, didn't Baltimore sweep the Mets earlier this season? Yeah, but that's now no Machado, no Shoop. I mean, DeGrom has Cincinnati on Wednesday, so and I wonder if that'll be DeGrom Harvey, by the way. Cincinnati, that could be DeGrom very, Harvey, very pesky lineup. Uh, no, they're good. They're they're tough to play against right now. And then you got Degrom against Baltimore. You going to Baltimore? Yeah. Well, you got Degrom against Baltimore on August fourteenth. Should 14th. be uh, Degrom Bundy, I think. First time seeing Cannon Yards play. Degrom Cashner yeah. right Beautiful now. Beautiful place. Beautiful place. I've Kashner. been there too. I was there the night that Calvin streak ended. Oh, Back wow. about twenty years ago. Uh, against the Yankees. Yeah. yeah, I was at the game with my dad. It was the last game of the year, and uh, we had no idea it was going to happen. It just right. happened. We still got the ticket stubs. Uh, so Degrom's next three starts: Cincinnati, Baltimore, and then at Philadelphia. On a Sunday night baseball, actually. Is Harvey, you have the pitching? Is he scheduled well, to come back? They don't, to, uh... Well, because they had the rain out yesterday, it right. changed them a little bit. But right now it says Bailey Romano, 
So that we know could be a day game, Wednesday, August eighth, the Grom Harvey at City Field. So it depends on what Harvey does right now, but Bring he's not pitching man. one of the first two games. So there's a one in three chance that it's a Degrom Harvey game, and that would be a fun game to watch. And that would be the game Degrom loses. Oh yeah, <laughs> Harvey's going to be Harvey, Harvey, Harvey complete, complete game shutout. Complete game shutout. <laughs> we'll take the the Degrom stat a step further and put it against the Braves. In the last five starts against the Braves, the Mets are zero and five. Degrom well. has thrown thirty three innings and given up four runs horrible in five starts four runs they haven't gotten one win not even just him it's not he's on five the Mets are on five and listen they didn't trade him so now you have to go give this man a blank check you do if you're going to keep him and you want to make it a point of being that oh we're going to build around him at 29 years old fine but go pay this man and lock him up you can't screw up on both sides yeah absolutely yeah so uh Mike any uh baseball guys as we uh turn the page to uh NFL uh, in a couple of minutes. The streamers uh, of the week have been up there. Uh, I know Nick Pavetta had a good start. He was one of them. Uh, Mike Fires got traded, so that was probably a scratch. And um, Luke Weaver only went two and two-thirds innings. He threw a ton of pitches. But we have Gombar going today for St. Louis. He's going to be in the rotation for Carlos Martinez. I like that kid a lot. Young lefty. I would stream him today against Pittsburgh. And if you're desperate for pitching, I would hold on to him and see what happens. What about Gossman for the Braves? What do you think of him there? It's his first start with the new team. A uh, new life for him now with a, a, a good team or, that he's playing instead of with the uh, Orioles? Yeah, and he doesn't have to face the DH. He doesn't have to face the NL East. Uh, well, you would have to, to face the NL East. I'm sorry, the AL East, <laughs> excuse me. So you would have to think that, uh, you know, he should have a, a decent run here with a better team that he's on, better defense behind him. I mean, the Baltimore Orioles are the worst team in baseball. Whether you look at the standings or not, they are pathetic. So you would have to think, Rob, they see something with what they paid to bring in Gossman. And uh, we talked about the uh, AL wildcard. We don't have to get into the NL now because we have all summer to do it. But eight teams in the NL wildcard within five and a half games. So it's a lot different than the AL, where it's just the Yankees and the two teams from the AL West and then a huge seven-game We got ourselves a race in the end. I mean, this – I've been waiting forever, and I hope it doesn't screw over the Braves, but I've been waiting forever for where they have like three or four teams tied after 162, and they have to go through some crazy tiebreak scenario that gives us a lot of exciting baseball. Uh, towards the end of the season. And so, just with Colorado, keep an eye on Wade Davis has blown two saves this week. Ottavino would be big the guy one to last pick night. Up. Yep. It was um, Milwaukee, right? Yes. Yes. So uh, Ottavino would be the guy there if they switch closes. Don't know if they will because you're paying him so much, but two blown saves this week. Yeah. So Milwaukee, Atlanta, Arizona. Uh, between and Arizona and either for Pittsburgh. Between yes, Arizona and LA, one of them is going to win the division. Okay. So it doesn't. So it's really seven teams because one of them is going to win the division. But either way, even San Francisco. Basically, if you're a 500 team, you're in the NL playoff race. Is it too early to crown the Dodgers the team to beat in the NL? I've said it all year. I think they are, and I. I still think they are. We saw Walker Buell come back this week, had a good start. On paper, they shouldn't even be a team near them. I agree. On paper, it's ridiculous, especially with Dozier. But I don't know. The way the Milwaukee Brewers since the All-Star break have just changed over and and the way they're playing, they had the walk-off Eric Thames, the home run last night. There's something about that Milwaukee team. I can't can't trust that pitching in the postseason, though. I hear that. The names aren't there. I I know they've been solid this year, but the names are not there. Well, they got to get through that one wild card game, and that's where the problem is right now, because I don't think that they're going to win the division. I think that's going to be Chicago's division. So they might host the game. They might be on the road. They have to get there. There are so many teams so close. They might have to play the playing game to get to the wild card playing game to make the playoffs. And that's where it really hurts a team like that who doesn't have the ace. They've been a good team in Miller Park, though. That will definitely help them. They definitely need to be the home team in that wild card. And nobody's been better at home than the Philadelphia Phillies, and they just keep rolling. Every time I think Atlanta has a chance to retake first place, even if it's, you know, temporarily, uh, they get a win. They had a big comeback win a couple nights ago against against the Marlins. I know it is the Marlins, but Barraclaw was just terrible trying to close it out. He's not – He's not even – shouldn't even be called a closer. He's not even ownable in I fantasy. Agree. Even if you need to steal saves, he's going to kill everything else. Uh, and then you got all the other teams. And we got all summer to talk about it. Um, and it's so close now that by the time we're on the air Monday or next Saturday again, and I'm sure it'll still be a close race, and we'll get into that too. But uh, the exciting thing is that if you're a Mets fan and all you have to look forward to is Jacob DeGrom's ERA – well, you got the NFL, and we saw Thursday Night Football, a bunch of no-names, and RG3 um, – actually, nope, a bunch of no-names, because RG3 now is a no-name because he sucks. Um, on the, on the uh, Gridiron Hall of Fame game, Bears and Ravens, this week we get it going again, Giants-Browns. I'm sure uh, Giants fans will uh, remember last year when they played each other, how it started their season off on just the wrong foot. But uh, NFL season gets underway this week. Fantasy drafts, uh, people are starting to do their mocks by now, and uh, – 
set up your draft dates, and we're going to be all over it the next couple of weeks leading up into the regular season, helping you out. We have a full fantasy show coming your way, too, as well. And we also are going to um, look at every single division and do a preview for all the divisions. And today we start in the NFC West, guys. And uh, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, this is the changing of the guard. It's been Seattle's division forever, and we could talk about that as we get into there. But it seems like, you know, the Rams started to take it over last year. And uh, looking at it, we'll do all our previews on each team. If you ask me, this is Los Angeles's division to run away with. I completely agree with you. They're young. There's talent there. They just brought in Brandon Cooks, which I love that addition. But there's going to be one problem with this, guys. Go bring in Aaron Donald. If Aaron Donald's not there, everything I'm telling you positive about this team is off the table. He is a huge piece. He is an important piece. They have to go give this man a contract and bring him back in. As far as that goes, the offense, Gurley, obviously he could be a first overall pick in fantasy drafts. He's that good. Sean McVay has in, uh, injected some life into golf, all those other weapons. I love the Rams team. They had 11-5 and last season. I have no problem saying they'll go 11-5 and this season. I think Aaron Donald is crucial, especially they lost a lot of pieces on that defense. And uh, that guy, they need him. Without him, then they're really an empty defense. And that was a big part, too, even though they were the best offense in football last year. Jared Goff took a humongous step in his second season in the NFL, and I believe in that guy. I'm a big buyer into him. I think it is the Rams' division, but I don't think they're going to be as great as they were last year. And everybody's riding the Rams' coattails. I don't think they'll be that good, but I do think they do win the NFC West. I think they're going to be better than they were last year. I think, pretty hard. I think that their division is worse than it was last year. And we talk about their defense. Well, they brought in Dominic and Sue, Marcus Peters, Akeem Philippe. They brought in pieces. And there's no way Aaron Donald's not going to be there by the time the season starts. Don't forget, this is what Jason, um, Jason this is what Michael Strahan did for the Giants. These guys don't want to be part of the offseason stuff. They don't want to be part of preseason. They're going to get paid anyway. Le'Veon Bell's going to be there. You know, all the holdouts. Um their defense got better, and now they added Brandon Cook to that arsenal in the offense. To me, that's so good. It really is. And their division's worse, and we're going to get into each team in the division. Um, but their offense, awesome, and they're young. Gurley's young. Goff is young. Cooks is pretty young still. Um, their offensive line had a good year last year. There may not be their, um, you know, they may not be their strength, but they're still pretty damn good. And if we could look at their schedule if we want, but if you ask me, I think they're at least a 12-1 team. That division is not good. It's not the best division, but they had no first and second round picks, but it did have a huge offseason acquiring Cooks, Marcus Peters, and Aqib Talib. And Sue. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. And Sue. Sue. I forgot about Sue. Um, we like to look at the schedules, guys. Um, to me, I mean, it's the, the Raiders, we don't know what the Raiders are going to be right now. That's that Monday night football doubleheader game. Um, but after that, Cardinals should be know, winning. I think the Chargers are supposed to be good this year, but that's a home game. That'll be like the Battle of L.A., Right. I guess now is what it seems to Listen, be. This Rams team, like last year, they're going to score points. Can these teams we're looking at right now, Rob, score points with them? Um, the Chargers might be able to. Um, the Vikings Packers. The question mark. The, the Packers can. The can sure. they, they got lucky that they, you know, they get to face um, the Vikings and the Packers at home. Those are two tough places to play. Right, right. So they don't have to go to Minnesota or Green Bay. So that's a plus for them. Um, yeah, I mean, they have to go into to New Orleans. You know how that is. That same team was very good. Um, and they get the Chiefs at home. So Chiefs. Kansas City on the road, too. They have a, to me, their schedule's favorable that all the three of their four toughest um, road games ended up being home games. So They definitely um, caught a break there with those teams. You're right. So, I mean, we think they're good. Um, we actually agree on it. We'll what does see. Vegas think? Vegas, uh, Super Bowl odds for the Rams are plus 1,100, which is pretty nice. Uh, division odds, the Rams are minus 130 favorites to win this division. The 49ers are plus 300. Seahawks getting a little bit of love at plus 375. And the Cardinals, not so much love here, plus 1,100 to win a division. Uh, I have team totals, too, whenever you want to get into those. Oh, yeah. you can do them now. All right, we'll start with the Rams. We'll do the rest when we move on. Last year, they won 11 games. This year, it's set at 10, Rob. Set at 10. I think they're going to be a 12-win team. I mean, if they stay healthy. Uh, they'd have to be, and you don't, you don't have the half game there. So 10's even a push. So they'd have to be two games worse and a worse division with the better, you would think better team and a more mature team. It almost seems like a trap. Almost. That it's down to 10. You know, 10 and a half, I'd understand 10 itself. That's pretty crazy. I'm sure the money's going to be on the over for a lot of people. I'm on the over too. I'm on the over, especially because of no half. That, I think that's a right. very All solid All three point of us there. take the over of 10 to the Rams. Yeah, I, I love it. I don't think they're worse than 10 and 6. I actually had them registered as 10 and 6 when I did my win-loss through the schedules. So, I'm going to take the over just in case I'm wrong about one of those losses. Okay. Um, 
Anything else about the Rams? We all have them winning the division, by the way. We all right. have them over 10 yes. games. I don't think we have another team winning more than 10 games. No. Right. All right, so when it comes to second place, uh, what does Vegas say uh, as, as far as over-under-wise? Because I know what their odds were. You had, a, you had a, what was it, the 49ers? Are 49ers. Like plus three-something, three right? Plus 300 plus on 300. the down. Their Super Bowl odds are plus 2,000. Everybody's hyped about Jimmy Garoppolo, my boy, where he's doing the play my sound bite. Yeah, but that's not coming right. from me. Boone is not here. 49ers, last year they won six games, but we all know how they finished the year. They won their last five. And they also Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> so, 2018, their win total is set at eight and a half. Um, Mike? Uh, I'm going to say under. I think this is going to be a 500 team. I would say eight and eight. I like what they did. They brought in Jarek McKinnon. They brought in Richard Sherman. Um, they drafted Pettis. Vinny knows him a little bit better than I do, but um, – Jimmy Garoppolo, there's going to be struggles with this team, guys. Uh, you know, they're not going to be smooth sailing as they were last season. They rode a hot wave. Now it's a new season. It's a new start. Other teams are going to adjust and scheme for Jimmy Garoppolo and, uh, you know, what they do well here. I think 8-8, eight and eight, and that's a, an improvement from 6-10 and 10 last year. So I'll take the under. I think everybody's on them because of the way they finished the season once Garoppolo took over. He went undefeated there. He's never lost in his career. That's going to change in week one when they're at the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I think they're a little bit overrated. I don't like their defense. Um, we'll see what McGlinchey does, his offensive tackle. He's one of the guys we talked about. If the Giants ever traded down in the draft, um, as one of the guys maybe they get, depending on how far down that they traded. So we knew about McGlinchey. I also um, – I know Dante Pettis a little bit from game against Arizona State, but I couldn't tell you much about him. I know he's a, a pretty decent wide receiver that's had some good games. But in the Pac-12, there's no good defense. So I'm not sure how that's going to work out that well. Um, I have them as a six-win team this year. I'm probably lower than most people. So you don't have I'm on the under than last year. No, because I don't think that that six and ten was who they really were last year. Just like I don't think the Giants were just a three-win team. Uh, they caught some people by surprise. Uh, San, uh, San Francisco did, and uh, Garoppolo I think is good. I think he's a good fan, especially in a two-quarterback league like I'm in. He's going to be pretty dynamic. I think they got to throw the ball. Can McKinnon do there what Hyde is able to do? Yes. A lot of people say yes. 100%. A lot of people say yes. Can he have 300 touches next year? Can he? And he get through it healthy. And they have Matt Brenner there, too, who has been a nice compliment. uh, People love McKinnon. He's going to be a top 10 uh, running back by the end of the year. At least that's what I wrote in my notes. I'm all over him. They're going to catch a lot of balls. Um, I don't know if the wins and losses will be there. Their schedule is tough. Unlike the Rams, they have to go to Minnesota. They have to go to Kansas City. They have to go to Green Bay. They, those are tough games to win. And they're still a young team without a great defense. Um, to me, I think that they're a six-win team. I have bought into Jimmy Garoppolo. This man said he was better than Tom Brady while he was under there. I don't agree with him there. But uh, he learned it. He's no Joe Montana. He's off to a Tom Brady-esque start. I know it's only been five games, but he's won them all. I love what the 49ers did in their draft. They went out there. They got uh, the best offensive lineman in the draft, McGlinchey. Any lineman from Notre Dame this year was going to be huge for any team. And they went out there and got another wide receiver weapon from And they got Jared uh, McGinnon, like you guys said, uh, who I think is going to be tremendous. I'm not going to get into him. We already said enough about him. Uh, the schedule is a little difficult, but I think they are going to finish with a winning record of 9-7 and seven when I did my wins and losses there. So I'm taking the over of 8.5. And, and I think Jimmy G has good supporting cast. And I think they're going to be a pretty good uh, force to reckon with. Now, we're going to get to Seattle in a minute. But I'll say this. Um, they have that stretch after their bye week, right around Thanksgiving, at Tampa, at Seattle, Denver, Seattle, Chicago. Um, that's a five-game stretch where they will probably be favored in most of those games. Those teams aren't good teams. I, I, we're going to talk about Seattle. Maybe you guys disagree with me. I'm not into Seattle very much oh, this year. Nope. Um, so we're about to get into that. I don't think Tampa Bay is good. They might be the worst team in football. If we were doing a full yeah. preview right now, I might have them as a three-win team, especially with all this crap with Winston going on, some of the moves they made in the offseason. JPP is going to be a nightmare to deal with down there. He's going to be a nightmare to deal with. And then they got Chicago, who, um, you know, we, we, we don't know what Trubisky is, but it's a home game. Uh, Chicago has to travel out there. It's three straight home games for them. So That's a team on the they, up, Rob. If they have, you know, that three wins, you know, four wins by the bye week, then I'm going to be off because they're going to win some of those games. And they're going to get near eight and nine wins. They do have a good second half of the schedule, kind of like the Giants do, but their first half is brutal. I just want to say this. So the Giants are coming off a bye to face San Francisco, and San Francisco is going on the bye. So hopefully the stars will align and we'll see a, uh, a road win. It's been a long time. Houston was the last one we saw, right? <laughs> Houston, yeah. Houston was eight, and we go almost every year. 
we've gone to see a Giants road game together. Hopefully the Stars And the last win that we saw was that Houston game when we almost got jumped in the stadium after the game for talking trash. Again, some thug from, I think, MS-13. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I have them at six wins. I still think that they're right there with uh, Seattle. Um, and I think that you, you said the odds before. They're pretty close to win the division. So I'm sure their over-unders have to be the same. Everybody loves Russell Wilson. Uh, the Seahawks Super Bowl odds are plus 6,000. That's the highest it's been. God knows how long. They've lost so many people from that Super Bowl team. They're about to lose Earl Thomas, it looks like. They really don't have anybody hanging around from their glory days. Uh, Win-loss total, they won nine last year. It's set at eight this year. Um, and by the way, Richard Sherman's like 49 Yes, he is. So he, we, we didn't talk about that. Um, I don't know how much he has. I don't he's know, they, they I don't know how good he's going to be anyway. I don't know either what he's got left, but he's there regardless. Um, Mike, we'll start with you. What was the uh, total there, Vinny? Eight? Eight. Yeah, I'm going to go under with this, and uh, I don't think this is a good team at all. Cam Chancellor had to retire. Earl Thomas uh, is not going to play another game there because they're not going to give him the contract. He will be traded, and Sherman is now gone. I thought the offense was abysmal last year. They could not move the football. The defense is even worse. The offensive line is worse than the Giants' offensive line. This team is in trouble. I have them at six wins. I will take the under. I don't know what these guys are doing with their drafts. Because when you talk about bad offensive linemen, the Seahawks might make the Giants' offensive line look good. And they just haven't addressed that. In the draft, they went with Rashad Penny, good player, but he's got a terrible supporting cast of an offensive line there. And then they went defense and a tight end. If this guy Disley from Washington doesn't block, I don't know what they were thinking with this draft. They didn't do anything to give support to Russell Wilson. He's going to be running aimlessly like he always does. Uh, I don't see them doing anything, uh, anything much. I think their defense has, you know, decreased, diminished. And their offense didn't get any better either. This is a team that just did nothing to improve, whether the draft, free agency, nothing. So I am taking the under, and I'm very confident in it. And I don't want to jump you, Rob, but I will say Doug Baldwin's already been ruled out for the preseason. So you don't even know how he's going to be, if he's ready for week one or not. He's suffered injury. He's their best offensive player. So, uh, you know, go ahead. Just another nightmare for them. I have them winning seven games, so I'm also on the under. I actually had them finishing ahead of San Francisco. I'm not ready to crown Garoppolo. Uh, and that team is a better team than Seattle yet, although when you look at the schedule, you can make the case. I know you went game by game. Is Seattle um, still going to be that force to reckon with at home? I think they started to get away from that in the last I couple agree. of years. Um, I think it's done with But them. I think, first of all, I'll say this. I think Russell Wilson might be the top um, quarterback in fantasy this year. Uh, and we'll get into that as we send our rating, rankings. I'm not saying he's a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying he's a better quarterback than Tom Brady but he's going to have to throw and run the ball late to win games a lot of the time this year. And they have a brutal schedule in the second half of the year. And he gets garbage points as good as anybody with his leg. And at the end of the games, I lost the fantasy championship because in week 16, a couple of years ago, he had negative one points at the half and finished with over 30. That's what he does. So he might be a great fan. He might be a top two or three fantasy quarterback. He might be number one. Uh, their second half of the season is hard as hell. The Chargers, we know that they're supposed to be good. At the Rams, Packers, Panthers, those games right there are tough. We don't know what the Niners are, but we think that they're going to be pretty good. They get the Niners twice, the Vikings, the Chiefs, and then they finish up with a, a cupcake with the Cardinals. But it's a brutal second half schedule for them. Um, they don't have the Legion of Boom anymore. Pete Carroll's a great coach. Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. Um, to me, they have the work cut out for them. Seven wins max. I'll give it to them because I respect them for what they've done in the past. But uh, I thought I, you'd be a lot lower than me. I did. I have five wins. Do you? Five wins. I mean, with that schedule, I can see why. Yep. That's a tough schedule. I mean, what you probably have them winning the two Cardinal games. And then, God knows, I mean, maybe the Bears and the Broncos. I mean, they could start 2-0 versus the Broncos and the Bears. And I don't think the Cowboys are any good. They might have a good start. Broncos, Bears, Cowboys. I mean, you could go 3-0 in those games. I just want to say something. And Cardinals. You I'm, go with three of those four. I'm jumping a division. I don't know about here. that. I have the Broncos beating every team in this division. I think the, the, the Broncos is a loss. At Chicago is a good home team. That's a loss. And Dallas could be a toss-up. So uh, I mean, I mean, I yeah, hey, if you don't think Seattle's that good, but I don't think that. Three. Who's starting quarterback for the Broncos? It's Case Keenum. Oh, yeah. Um, You're damn right. It's I Case mean, Keenum. <laughs> I don't know. A Trubisky, uh, a Trubisky beating Russell Wilson. I don't think the Cowboys are good. We'll get to that. This Seattle team, I can tell you from betting last year and watching their games, the offensive line, Russell Wilson has no time. No time in the pocket. They can't set up a run. This is a bad team that they is just use, screwed. They can use Walter Jones back, that's for sure. All right, got to speak about Walter Jones right now, guys, because uh, we did an interview with him, and we only have 20 minutes left in the show, and it's a nice human interview. 
stop it whenever. Block talk. Um, we'll get to it, but we'll get to Walter Jones in just a minute. What does he have it set for? He An hour. Has, yeah, so we'll <laughs> see. Um, old goon. That's okay. Uh, listen, not a lot to say anyway when you get to the Arizona Cardinals. They're a rebuilding team. Um, David Johnson's back. That's fun for fantasy owners. Um, I don't know if with that offense they'll have a lot of room. We'll see Larry Fitzgerald get closer to breaking some records this year. Um, other than that, they're a four or five win team. I agree with you, Rob. And uh, <laughs> what does Vegas think? This team to me is uh, another one. Poor Larry Fitzgerald. He's going to be the Jacob Degrom. You let Tyron Matthew go. I like Kirk. Vinny. You mentioned him. That's my boy. I looked him up a little bit. He looks like he's going to be a talented fit there. Um, David Johnson should be back. He's still young. He's healthy. Uh, he's another weapon. But um, there's just – there's a lot of holes on this team. There really is. Decent offense on paper where I think they're going to be a team that makes a lot of covers. I think they could put up points this year with Bradford. I don't know how ready Rosen is yet. But I like their draft. Um, I just don't like the – I just don't think they're going to be that competitive overall. I mean, they lost the Honey Badger. Um, their defense – it's really hard to name a guy on their defense. But I do think their offense can actually put up some points with some people and make some covers this year. But in terms of winning games – I don't see it happening. Last year, they won eight games. This year, they're over-under set at a five-and-a-half. And I'm taking the under. Yeah, and they lost a defensive coordinator um, uh, to the Giants. Vinny's um, on the under. They, they're just a new team. They don't have Adrian Peterson anymore. They don't need him because they have a top-five running back. Nobody needs Adrian Peterson. Either. That's the exciting thing. Um, if you're an Arizona fan, you're a fantasy fan, is to see what David Johnson can do. I don't forget, Johnson didn't have a leg injury. It wasn't a hamstring. It wasn't anything with his legs. It wasn't a knee injury. Uh, so he should be 100% and rested. Didn't he break his arm? It wasn't an arm. It was his arm, yeah. right? So that shouldn't really He's affect fine. him too much this year. He should really be 100% with the year basically a rest. So in fantasy, and we'll get to it, he should have a pretty good year. I have them going uh, four and 12. Uh, I think that's fair. I'm not going to disagree with either of you guys. Five and a half. I could see five, uh, you know, no point here in bickering. So uh, I'll take the under as well. And that puts all three of us on the under. We're actually all on – everything is the same except what is Vegas for – What for the over? Vinny is on the over for the 49ers. Five and a half, five and a half. Cardinals, the Cardinals are plus 10,000 to win the Super Bowl and plus 1,100 to win the division. Yeah, well, those, are pro- those numbers are probably right because uh, they're just – they're rebuilding team, and that's fine. My um, last note about the Cardinals, one of my favorite stadiums <laughs> that I've never been to because of Super Bowl 42. Um, just had to throw that in there. To all the Tom Brady fans out there. <laughs> oh, that's, that's you too. All right. Um, anyway, so Walter Jones spent a lot of time playing a lot of time playing in the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks. He's a nine-time Pro Bowler, Pro Bowler, uh, four-time first-team All-Pro, NFL 2000s All-Decade team. He had his number 71 retired, and he also gave us a couple of minutes the other day. Um, here is Mike and Vinny, because I wasn't around for this, with Walter Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, we are being joined now by NFL Hall of Famer Walter Jones. He's been kind enough to give us a few minutes of his time. Walter, how you been, sir? I've been good, man. Enjoying the good weather up here in Seattle, man. So it's been great. That's great, and thank you again. Uh, Walter, you played 12 seasons, 180 games. You've only ever given up 23 sacks and only nine holding calls in 5,703 pass attempts. What do you credit all this uh, success to? Um, I don't know. I think it's uh, just uh, trying to try to be consistent, uh, watching guys before me. You know, I had a great opportunity to watch uh, guys. You know, when I first got into football, I had a chance to, to watch uh, uh, Anthony Munoz. Uh, he had a, uh, a tape out there that showed techniques, and so I kind of watched that all the time. And then once I got in the league, I had an opportunity to watch guys like Jonathan Ogden and uh, Tony Baselli. Orlando Pace really rolled. So those guys went out and dominated all the time. So that was that was easy to watch and say, you know, the coach used to tell me, if you want to be good, watch these guys. So I just continued to keep watching those guys and, and watch how those guys dominated the game. So every year I just tried to do that to try to stay consistent. And I learned that in this game you have to be consistent and, and play at a very high level for a long time. So that's what I was trying to do, you know, and I was totally blessed to be able to play that long. And let's talk about that magical 2005 season you guys had. The Seahawks were great that season. Uh, Sean Alexander won the 2005 MVP, 2005 rushing leader, and he also allowed Tide Priest Tones with the most touchdowns in a season. Um, first off, I hope he treated you guys to dinner. And um, how special was that season, uh, Sean's success, relating to you? 
it was very special, man. I think it was a situation where, you know, Coach Hunger came in and, you know, he was, you know, this team, was, we wasn't doing that good. And, you know, he was coming off, you know, some Super Bowl appearances with, with Green Bay. So for us as a young team, a team that never experienced that, all we wanted to do was listen to him and follow him. So, and that's what we did. So in that 05 season, everything that he was teaching us, the offense, it finally clicked. And the game changed easy for everybody. So, you know, and, and that's what happened to a lot of the great teams. Once everybody is, is on the same page, that's how easy the games get. And I think what we did was we made it very easy for Sean. You know, if, if, a, if a running back is going in there and all he has to do is worry about one guy, and I think that's what we taught as offensive linemen. We're going to leave you one guy that you got to make a move in. And Sean was pretty good at, you know, making that one guy miss. And that used to might be a backside linebacker or a safety. So that was pretty, you know, we made it pretty easy for him that he had to worry about all those guys because, we did a great job of, of covering those guys up and, and, you know, being very athletic. So, and, and made hold for Sean. So, we definitely, definitely was taking full advantage of the opportunity that we was giving him. Right. He gets all those accolades, but there's no way he could have done that, with that without that left side of your offensive line and Max Strong. You guys were absolutely great. And you ended up going into the Super Bowl that year. Uh, you guys only scored 10 points in that game, and the only touchdown came off of Stevens' touchdown set up by a 76-yard interception by Stevens. I'm sorry. Um, what do you What do you guys think um, you could have done differently in that game to beat the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't know. I think the thing about it, though, we didn't play our game. I think, you know, a lot of things was done through that game to kind of take us out of the game. But, you know, I can, you know, I can, we can make fun of it now with people and stuff and but I think the thing that happened to us is that we just didn't play a good football game as a unit. You know, not saying nothing about the defense, but as a unit for us, we didn't play because we have been in tougher situations and stuff like that. If we was able to to overcome those situations, and that's one thing we was not able to do was to overcome those situations. And and I put that on us and the offensive linemen and in the offense that we just didn't do enough to win that game. And we're speaking with nine-time Pro Bowler Walter Jones. Walter, uh, you made it look very easy. Uh, in my opinion, you're the best to ever do it. We'll get to that in a few seconds. But who was the toughest defensive player you ever had to guard? <laughs> oh, man, I get that question all the time. And I think, uh, you know, once you, once your name starts sucking around and you, you, you get the respect of your peers, you know, you know, for me, when I was coming into the league, you know, I fear guys like uh, Derek Thomas, uh, Bruce Smith, you know, OC from the Giants. So, you know, I, I don't – I just can't name, like, one guy. I, I just just remember that once my name started floating around uh, and you start shutting guys out, you know, every guy every guy I went against gave me their, their A game. So, every every game was a, was a battle, man. So, you know, you, you say you make it look easy, but those guys definitely was coming out there to, to, to make a name for themselves. So, and for me, I think that, that – that made me work even harder to stay focused and say, okay, I can't go out here and let these guys get a sack or do this because, you know, my name is floating around like he's pretty good. So, you know, you have to go out there and, and totally be focused every game. So, And that was fun because, you know, you like the competition and you want those guys to give you your best. So I would say all the guys, man, they definitely gave me fits, man, and, and made me definitely work. And you spent your whole career with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, can you speak on their fans, the whole 12th man, that whole atmosphere? What's, what's it like being, you know, playing behind those kind of fans? Hey, man, it's, it's pretty awesome, man. I tell you, man, to be to be able to, to finish my whole career here in Seattle, man, it's, it, was, it was pretty cool. And, that um, you know, the, the fans are definitely, they love their players. And, you know, we, we kind of started it when we when they when they decided to to, to to get us out of the kingdom, and then we went to Husky Stadium, and you know we kind of started clicking then, and the fan base definitely got behind it. I'm saying the fan base wasn't there before, but once we opened up that new stadium, we were able to go out there and put a great product on the football field, and and, and they definitely these fans love they see out of the Seahawks, man. So for me, I just enjoy the fact that. They love you. They still love you now. I can go around town and they still appreciate those moments. that, I, And that definitely makes me feel good that they still can reminisce about how well we played together as a unit. 
and they still love us today. So I, I definitely enjoy that. And from what I understand, you got into photography now and even a sideline photographer for the Seattle Sounders, the MLS team. Is that correct? That's correct, man. You know, I, I was, uh, you know, you know, a lot of times people think that you have these moments where you, you're trying to figure out what you're, what you're going to do. But, you know, I've been blessed that, you know, I don't have to worry about that. You know, I've, I've done a great job of preparing myself out of football. And so um, I just wanted to, um, you know, I, I always had a camera when I used to go out with my kids on vacation. I always would have a camera and all that stuff. So I just wanted to, uh, wanted to be a part of something. So what I did was, uh, you know, I had a, I had a friend that was in, in that business doing that. And I was telling her like, that'll be cool to be something to do. And, you know, he took me out and just kind of like showed me some, some ins and outs of working the camera. Cause you know, at, at that point, all I knew was just picking up the camera and taking pictures. So, um, and, and, and I got a chance to, to meet the signers, to be a part of that organization, man. It was, it was great. So right now I'm just learning, man. I get a chance to, to be around that all the time, man. And, and hopefully one day, you know, I can get that shot to, to, to be put up somewhere or, or be shown somewhere. So I think that's the, that's the end goal. But I just, I just enjoy it, man. I enjoy the fact that I get a chance to, to see other players in, in the area, just not long, just the football players. I get a chance to see guys. I, I hope I get a chance to do, do the Mariners game one game. So, you know, it's an opportunity to, to kind of – you kind of connect with those guys. So then now when you're doing stuff in the community – those guys will come out and, and, and lend a hand. So I think that's the cool thing about it sometimes. And I know that you're a, you're still follow the Seattle Seahawks. You're an avid fan. You live there, like you mentioned. What's your feeling on the team this year? Uh, Sherman is gone. Cam Chancellor had to retire due to injury. We don't know what Earl Thomas's status is going to be. What's your take on the team heading into the season? Um. I think that you know this is kind of—it's not like a rebuilding. I think they still got the nucleus guys here that have been to a Super Bowl. You got Russell Wilson, you got Bobby Wagner, you got Doug Baldwin. So you still got guys, and we don't know what's going to happen with Earl. But almost if things—if those things that nothing happen, I think he's going to be ready once the season starts. So um, I think the team is definitely got a are still got a target on their back that. This team have definitely set the standard, and they're one of the teams that everybody want to beat still. You know, even though you got the Rams, you got the 49ers that is definitely have improved from the years before. But still, and again, I think it's still Seattle is the team that they want to definitely show the world that, hey, we can, come, we can come in every Sunday and beat this team. And until they do that, you know, Seattle is still the team, I think. Even though they didn't win the division last year, I still think that Seattle is the team to beat and still – team prove us wrong, but I think it's going to be a change of guard. I think that the offense, I think the offense is going to grow. You know, with a, with, with Dwayne got a, another Dwayne Brown got a year under his belt, an offseason here. I think he's going to definitely go out here and 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 ball like the way he he always have, and that definitely you know with offense alignment, when you see a guy that go out there and put the work in, and all the young guys they learn from that. So I think that's going to be a change of guard where. We're going to get back to running the ball and being dominant. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to be like. And, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that they can, can, can definitely make it, you know, make some, some, some noise this year. And we're speaking with NFL Hall of Famer Walter Jones. Walter, I know you started 9-6 check, um, which has to do with your former teammate. What a big impact on you, Cortez Kennedy. Why don't you just tell us a little about that? Because uh, just from reading up on it, it's a terrific uh, cause. Oh, it definitely is, man. You know what, man? I was, you know, the the, the passion of Cortez was something that shocked to me, and it was a shocker to a lot of guys. So for me, man, you know, once I, you know, once it happened, you know, I got a lot of phone calls from from media to uh to, to do interviews, and I just I didn't know what to say at the time because you know, everybody more was different though. But once I got a chance to talk about it, you know, the first thing I can remember is that Cortez was calling. Anytime about anything, so and that's kind of how I started. Not to check that he will call you in the middle of the night and just say, hey, "Man, I was just checking on you, see how your family done doing." So that's what I wanted to do. I just started thinking about you know, you know, you be you you build a bond with everybody, just not with your offensive linemen. You build a bond with a lot of guys that that you that you go out there and fight every Sunday. So 
those guys, that, that, that second team, third team, you just want to be you just want to be able to reach out to those guys and let them know that, hey, we're still part of a team, and if you need anything, we'll do whatever we can to help you. So that's how I started the 96 check. And it's not about just players. I try to I get my family involved. I get my friends involved. You know, a lot of times when you're doing stuff with friends, they're all about just calling you to let's go hang out and do that So or doing business. And so a lot of times when I'm doing those conversations, I always will ask, Hey, how your family doing? How your kids doing? And sometimes that's a shock because a lot of times people think that you don't, you're not caring about that stuff. So I try to reinforce that with a lot of my friends just by asking them how their family doing, how their mom doing, and stuff like that, just to let them know that I actually care and it's just not a uh, a friendship thing or I'm just doing business with you. I, I, I honestly care about you and don't want you to be somewhere suffering. You don't want to tell anybody. And that's a wonderful thing you do over there, Walter. Um, knowing the studies that we know today about the concussions and the CTE, have you ever experienced any concussions in your, in your career? And do you experience any lingering effects from your playing time now from as a result of playing the game of football? You know, I can say, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't document concussion. I don't. But, you know, I think, I, you know, if you play this game for this long, I think of, of many of us guys that, that, that it got our bell rung, as they say, back in the days. But as of now, man, I, I feel I feel healthy. I feel good. You know, I don't know. You know, I've been, I, I, I'm just like everybody else. I read what's going on. I talk to former players and stuff like that. So, you know, I think it's a situation you just have to have, make sure, you know, if that situation happens to you, hoping that you have great people around you that can support you and stuff like that. And that's something that I try to do every day. It's just trying to put people, you know, I always tell people, a lot of people know Walter Jones, but they don't know Walter. So I try to let people to understand me and know me, and know, try to be a true friend to me, to understand all that stuff. But still, when a person is in need, that they can come to you. So that's what I try to do, is just try to put the right kind of people around me that's going to be there to, to help me in those times, and something like that happens to me. And lastly, on the topic, just a two-part question. Do you have any regrets playing, and would you ever let your kids play the game of football? Uh, yeah, I don't regret it, man. I, I tell people all the time that, that the league, the NFL football, has definitely been a blessing to me and to my family. So I definitely have no regrets to that. Uh, my son, would I let him play? Yes. My son have graduated from high school. Uh, he's a uh, He's going off to college now to play football. So, you know, I, I, all the thing I did was I always tell parents what I did because, you know, a lot of times when you, you know, every, you know, every level, the, the equipment get better, uh, the trainers get better. So for me, when my son started playing, I just made sure that I took it upon myself to make sure that his helmet, even though the team might be doing everything, the schools might be doing everything to make sure that their pass are fitting right. I put I, I, I put it upon myself, not as a player, but just as a parent, to make sure that his heavens fit right, his pads are protected where they're supposed to be protected. So that's what I would tell parents. And, you know, and, and if you make that decision, if you think your son or, or your daughter is strong enough to play, you know, a lot of times these kids don't develop until late, you know, into high school. So you have to make that choice. And, and, and with my situation, my son, well, it's it, it solid like me, so that was an easy choice. But you know, I waited till he came to me and said he wanted to play football, and I just and all I did was just make sure that you know everything was was, was fitting him right, and kind of you know just supported him as a as a, as a father. And now, Walter, being an NFL Hall of Famer, I have to ask you, um, looking from the inside, looking out. What's your take on Terrell Owens, who now finally makes the Hall of Fame, but uh, is deciding not to attend the Hall of Fame induction ceremony? You know, that, that's Terrell. That's what he want to do. That's on him. I don't have no, you know, I don't. I, my feelings towards him is that he's a he's a he's a brother now, and I'm happy for him that he's finally got that that knock on the door to to, to be to come into Ken. And uh, you know, the, I tell people all the time, the only thing that I would hate for him is that. You know, he can be mad at the, the voters or whatever, whatever he's mad about or whatever he feels. And I think that um, – I think I hate for him to miss uh, the celebration that 
the Hall of Fame does for those guys. Once you step on those grounds, once you step off that plane, man, for that entire weekend, they celebrate you. You know, even though you're going in with a class of guys, you know, it's enough love that they give every guy their individual praise. And I think that's something that, you know, I hate for him to miss that call because once you get to that point, it's all about you. And for him, a person that I always say he's all about him, I don't see why he would miss that opportunity though because I think what the Hall of Fame does for us on that weekend for those inductees, man, is, is so awesome, man. You will never forget that. If you do that and never go back again, you will never forget that weekend of going there and being praised by everybody in that town, man. And they don't care on what team they cheer for. You, they cheer for one team, and that's being in the Hall of Fame. And I hate for him to miss that part of it. That's definitely a prestige honor, and you 100% deserve to go there. You had a hell of a career. One last question for me, Walter. Uh, today's NFL, you're seeing all these national anthem protests, the players are kneeling down there. Do you have a problem with them kneeling down? Uh, what's your whole take on the anthem protest that's been going on these last couple seasons? <laughs> I don't have no take, man. I, you know, I think everybody have a right to do what they want to do. I, feel, I don't think it affects the game because those guys still going out there playing, uh, playing football. And I think from that standpoint, longer that doesn't uh, affect the bottom line and that's going out there and, and playing football and, and right now, for me personally, I'm a fan. I watch it. You know, you hear. I don't. I definitely don't speak on it a lot because it doesn't affect me. You know, I enjoy watching football, and long as it's on TV, I'm going to watch it. All right. And the final question for you before we let you go. We appreciate your time. Give us an early Super Bowl yeah. prediction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, early? Pre- oh my God, man! I don't know, man. The training camp just started, man. You never know. You know, but <laughs> I, early. I think with the with the quick turn. The, the the quick turnaround with these teams, man. I'm, I, I got a for for the AFC. I'm thinking Jacksonville. You know, Jacksonville was was pretty close last year. So I'm thinking if they do, you know, some right things, I think they're gonna definitely be right there. So I would say from the the NFC, I was I mean the AFC, Jacksonville, and the NFC. Oh man, I don't know, man. It's it's a wide open thing, man. I think um, I'm thinking probably uh, Green Bay. You know, I'm thinking with the addition of Jimmy Graham's and you know, those you know, red zone, I'm thinking that uh, Aaron got something to prove this year. So I'm going to say an early prediction, Green Bay and, um, and Jacksonville. And that's Walter Jones, everybody. Walter, thank you for joining us. Check out his website. It's B2EDI.com, and that is the best to ever do it. Obviously, you are the best to ever do it, Walter. Thank you for your time, and hopefully we can catch up with you during the season. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right, and thank you to Walter Jones for uh, joining us and giving us a couple of minutes, and you can catch that up on our YouTube channel. We'll post a link for it on Twitter if you missed the whole uh, interview, as well as a link on our Facebook when you can get a chance maybe later today. Um, tie, tie up a couple of loose ends, guys. Uh, we'll, first, we'll get uh, – he said Jacksonville as a uh, Super Bowl team. We're going to talk about their division on Monday night as we preview the AFC South. That will be this Monday night over the top sports radio. At uh, 7 p.m., I guess we'll do it, Mike. 7? Sure. And, um, and then uh, last night in CFL news, Johnny Manziel, um, not going to be on your CFL fantasy team after last night's performance. No, his very first pass in CFL in Montreal was an interception, and it was right in the linebacker's numbers, and he took it. He also threw three more interceptions for a combined four total. It looks like Johnny Manziel clearly does not have a place in the NFL. And I don't feel bad for him one bit. This is somebody drafted first overall. He was out there like an idiot partying and drinking and doing drugs and sneaking off to Vegas. So uh, you made your bed. Now you're lying it, Johnny. Um, speaking of that, we finally get um, the fight we've been waiting for, Conor McGregor, who we knew wasn't really done when he said he was done. And uh, we're going to see him on October 6th. It's about time. You know what? I wasn't too sure if he was ever going to come back. He made so much money in that boxing match against Mayweather, and now he's going back for – you know, shekels compared to that, what he made against Money May. But uh, it's about time he's going to the octagon. It's been a long time since seeing this guy fight. It's been well over, like, two years now, I think it's been. So he's going to take on Khabib, and he's a plus-160 underdog. That looks like a big Vegas bait trying to wheel you in there because you know the action is going to be on the notorious Conor McGregor. And this is one of those fights where, if you ask me, it was like Rousey and uh, Amanda uh, Nunez. Yeah. 
this is all Khabib. Uh, you know, this is his time. You know, you're going to see McGregor, and I'm a McGregor fan. You're going to see the support from McGregor, Vinny, but you're absolutely right. The money is all going to be on McGregor, and uh, Khabib is going to run away with this. Khabib is – it's his time. He's younger. He's, uh, he's hungry. Uh, McGregor to have not fought in how long to come back to have to fight here and fight this guy, it, it just doesn't shape up well for McGregor. Khabib is a minus 200 favorite. The fight will be taking place at UFC 229, October 6th in the great, wonderful Las Vegas, Nevada, T-Mobile Center. Yeah, so not not the MGM anymore, by the way. Yeah, you know, I miss the MGM grand getting all this, but the T-Mobile Center has become that spot, and Rob, you've been there. I'm sure you're happy to see that that has become the big uh, concert and sports attraction that it has become. And they're building another arena that's going to fit fifteen to 20,000 people in it uh, right now. So they're going to have two arenas on the strip now in addition to the MGM Grand's arena. So a lot of uh, space for concerts. And the big thing they're going to be in the new, uh, new one is going to be the eSports. It's going to be a big esports arena. Esports, by the way, last week in Brooklyn at Barclays Center sold out 18,000 Unbelievable. 18,000 people and sold was, out Barclays last week. It was on ESPN, prime time, sold out the Barclays Center, and I had no idea what the hell I was watching, and people were literally screaming at the Barclays Center like it was a game-winning three. Yeah, and they had one last night in uh, Queens. Uh, we covered it at work yesterday uh, for NBA 2K, and the place went nuts, and the game went to overtime, and people were cheering. Fans were there cheering. As if it was really like the Knicks playing. It was like a Knicks jazz game. And uh, the fans are there cheering for these two video gamers. It's crazy. It's a new thing. It's going to become a phenomenon. I'm telling you, the next 10 years, uh, it's going to be covered like real sports are covered. Uh, And then finally, uh, Walter Jones uh, might not tell us where he stands about kneeling for the anthem. We know where Donald Trump stands. And now we know Donald Trump has answered the question of who's the GOAT, MJ or LeBron James. And he says number 23 the original and the one and only real number 23 uh yeah he's got michael jordan uh his tweet last night i got right up here i retweeted it myself lebron james was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television don lemon he made lebron look smart which isn't easy to do i like mike that is the president of the united states the donald never afraid to speak his mind yeah i mean you're a big don lemon guy right mike I'm not a Don Lemon guy at all, Vinny, but, uh, <laughs> and I don't know who's watching. It's probably just the one person on Rob's computer if it is up, but uh, listen, I don't want to see the president of the United States tweeting Don Lemon and LeBron James, and, uh, you know, I'm a Trump supporter, which, uh, you know, that's enough for everybody else out there, but uh, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that he's tweeting LeBron James and Don Lemon. Yeah. Don't cave in. Let it go. Anyway, guys, I got to say goodbye on Blog Talk because it tells me we are out of time for our extra recording time. So goodbye. And uh, we will be back, of course, on Monday night, 7 p.m.